You're listening to a podcast of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. We exist to declare and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people whole in Him. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 9 together. We were there last week. We'll be, again there. we'll be there again this week. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15. I will read it for us, and then I will pray. And then by God's grace and strong hand, I will preach. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15. This is God's word to us. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray together. Lord, we praise you together. We call on you now and ask that you would supply us with everything we need to be generous, obedient people who love and show Christ to a dying world who does not know you. Lord, we ask for your grace now. Give us open ears and hearts that are soft to receive, be changed, and have a love both for you and our neighbor. Oh God, would you please teach us to be generous givers, Yes, of course, from our funds, but also with our time and our resources and our talents and our homes and our families and our church. Would you help us to not love this world? Teach us to know you, God. I ask for power now, and as it's already been prayed, I pray that you would not let things come out of my mouth that will bring you dishonor, but rather would your word go forth mightily. I thank you for keeping a people for yourself, I thank you that you have continued to work. And Lord, we look forward to the day that your kingdom will come. We ask together that you would bring that quickly, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Uh, How many of you grew up um, with the reading when you would read? It was towards the end that you would earn yourself a one-topping personal pan pizza. Pizza, yeah, all right, we got a few, all right, good. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others have no idea. We're talking about? Book it. Book it. All right, good. You guys know. Um, I can remember my sister. Uh, she would keep her little reading log, uh, and she would get my parents to sign off on it, and she was devouring books in preparation to devour that personal pan pizza. Uh, I had never actually heard of it where I grew up in Canada. Uh, we were just way out there, I guess. Uh, I felt a little gypped, of course. Um, you know, you know, and, and, and that might account for why I don't read good. Um, but uh, since 1984, uh, Pizza Hut has believed so much in the power of reading and so much that they are willing to motivate children with free pizza. Uh, it's a simple program. You sign up, you track it, you turn it in, and you get free pizza. Uh, the program runs from October 1st to March 31st each year. 
and you can get up to six free pizzas if you meet your goals and are able to read. Uh, if my sister kept on track, she put the time in and the effort, of course, we would be heading to Pizza Hut here and there. If she didn't and slowed her pace, we weren't able to go. No pizza. At least uh, as much as she would have gotten, uh, she would have done this all along if she had been a better reader. I hoped more and more that she'd be better, but because then we got to go with her, of course. Really selfish on my part, but it helped her also to be a better and better reader. Now, Pizza Hut knows and understands the power of motivation by a reward, right? That's their whole program. They're trying to incentivize reading, helping kids understand the value by getting it through their stomachs. And yet what they're doing is getting this rhythm of reading over and over again. Uh, sometimes we need to see uh, what can be gained in order to motivate us to do the things that just don't maybe naturally come so easy to us. Now, we know this, of course, is like an artificial reward in one way, right? You know, uh, I mean, I do a lot of reading for my job, no pizza. You know, it's, it's not happening to me in, in, in these days. Um, but still, I understand that there's a reward in reading. Sometimes it's the, just the enjoyment of reading. Other times it's learning information. Other times it's making sure that you know what to do next. We understand we have different types of reading. But along the way, Pizza Hut was smart enough to say we care about this, we want to incentivize this to help motivate children to read. This morning, I want to talk about this subject of giving again. We began last week. But I want us to consider its rewards. Now that may sound like a crass way to talk about this. But I think we can go there because Paul goes there. This seems to be exactly what he's doing. We might not think of it immediately. That's okay. But hopefully we'll see that Paul is laying out the results and these ripple effects of giving in such a way as to motivate us to give. To show the Corinthians what happens when someone's willing to obey through generous giving from the heart. Last week, we saw that Paul called the Corinthian believers to give willingly to this collection, right? If you remember this, to, to send it off to Jerusalem. And if we saw, remember in verse 6 through 9, we saw the three rules that he gives, or these principles of giving. First rule, you reap what you sow. Second rule, your giving must reflect your heart. Number three is that God supplies. We'll see now as this continues to extend that these rules don't stop. They're kind of helping us understand how we go about this. Now, Paul could have demanded that the Corinthians just give. He could have just stopped there and said, hey, give. You said you were going to give. You should give. That's the end of it. He could have given them the rules and left them to it. But he spends the rest of chapter 9 giving them a proper understanding and a motivation of reward. And I admit it probably isn't the reward that we're used to getting excited about. But that just shows us so much how we struggle with unbelief of what God has told us is true in our world. He says that giving from the heart generously results not only in transfer of resources from one person to another needy person, but a multiplication of blessings, eternal, immense, increase that we can't even explain and understand these blessings in the kingdom of God. Therefore, Paul isn't only asking for money to be donated, although he is doing that, he's also teaching them, and likewise us, what the kingdom of God is like. He is teaching us through this what it looks like for us to invest in something that we can't necessarily see. 
for us to get our eyes off of the here and now, what's going on around us, all the chitter-chatter about what should matter to us, and say, let me give you a better sense of reality. In this section, he's simultaneously motivating and teaching these Christians about the sphere that they're living in. Now, sometimes we get distracted. I'm talking about me. Sometimes we get distracted with what our eyes can see around us, what our ears hear, the whole feel of the culture and what matters here and now as we grow and change and different things and pressures come up for us. Our things change and all of a sudden we get worried about things that we didn't worry about before. We like things we didn't like before because it continues to work around and see all the stuff that's going on. We feel that draw sometimes, the material urge to keep and to spend on kind of getting the best lives that we can right now. Much of our sin is born from unbelief. We understand that. We, we look around and we're kind of persuaded too that what we want to do is we should be living for the here and now lest we should kind of miss out on our best life right now. And when we believe that we need Christ to save our eternal souls, but we reject his worldview, hear me clear on that. When we believe that we need Jesus for our eternal souls, but we reject his worldview, what I mean by that is the bigger true story of everything, we are going to be miserable in this life. I can just promise you that. You'll, you'll just have no joy whatsoever. If you believe you need him for salvation, but really not anything else, and don't buy into the rest of his worldview, of what really is going on, you will be miserable. We're going to be kicking and screaming and not joyous when it comes to following all the commands that he gives to us. They won't make sense to us. We recognize that. They just won't make sense. This is true for all kinds of Christian things, but today, Paul shines the light on Christian giving this idea of being generous. God doesn't offer us, let me just be clear here, God doesn't offer us a get out of hell free card as long as we are willing to trust him with our eternal state and be unselfish and miserable and self-denying here on earth. It's not sort of some sort of transaction like that. That attitude comes from when we struggle with hardship and a misunderstanding of the permanence of this life and the misunderstanding of the life to come. We don't believe God at his word. We start to misunderstand and struggle with this idea. God doesn't ask Christians to, to pay the price in a sense, in a sense like, let's just be more stoic, disinterested, non-feeling, tough, self-denying, sufferers, so that one day, ah, then we'll get our heavenly mansion. Then we'll get all the stuff that we really want. If I just do my best right here to deny all that stuff and deny, 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 and not feel anything, I don't have any passion for any of that, and just stop doing these things, then I'll get what I want later on. I think sometimes we do this. I'm asking, though, that you would consider that what Paul says is true, and that it is better than multiple riches available to us here on earth. I want to be with Paul in this and give so that I want to give in this way so that I might partake in a greater, immense, eternal blessing from God. And I want the same thing for all of us as we are convinced in our own heart and desire to give from a heart of generosity. So yes, I'm saying that this message is going to highlight the rewards of giving. But I am not saying in any way that you should 
expect after you give to receive back more money, more houses or more resources or lots of stuff. Guys, this, or, or even success or notoriety. This isn't some sort of Christian karma that we're talking about. Sometimes we kind of think about it that way as though if we put it out there, it's going to come back to us somehow. This isn't Christian karma where our good deeds come back in this life. I want us to set our hearts on eternity, forever. If I could give you the whole sermon in a sentence, here it is. Seek, that's you, seek immense and eternal rewards through giving generously from the heart. Now, it should sound familiar because the last sermon was that part like give generously from the heart. But now let's put it together. Say it again. Seek immense and eternal rewards through giving generously from the heart. I think that Paul is doing is helping us see Christ as supremely valuable, helping us to turn our eyes to the thing that we say we come and worship every Sunday so that we would not only be a people who sing the praises of Jesus, but then act like him, understand his worldview and live in it, believing that he will reward those who love and trust and obey him. I think Paul is taking the opportunity to expand on what he said in verse six, what it means to sow bountifully and reap bountifully. I think he's explaining what that could look like. So take the things that we learned last week, things about giving, and seek to do those things because God has promised that tremendous things come from this type of giving. So let me show you what I mean here. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 15 together. It's kind of an intro to help us here be situated. In this text, I see several benefits or results of giving, but I want to categorize them for you because I think that might be helpful to kind of remember what comes out of this. If I was to try to categorize, it would be like this. Christian giving blesses others, it matures us, and it glorifies God. It's a true multiplication. Let me say that again. If I was just categorize all that we're going to see here in these next couple of verses, Christian giving blesses others, it matures us, and it glorifies God. Let's walk through this text, and uh, then we'll pull all these things together after we're done. In verse 10, Paul tells us about the one who has faithfully supplied seed. That's God we're talking about here. He says this, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now, this is a partial quote actually from Isaiah 55.10, where it's clear that the rain comes from God and when he rains, the produce comes from the ground. He brings forth food. We all know that it's God who brings this rain and that when he does bring it, the crops grow and it supplies food for us to eat. But here, the assurance of such a statement is used to guarantee that that same God will supply for us as we sow or as we give. Remember, that's the analogy he's talking about here. He's not talking about sowing like in a new way now. What was he talking about before? It's not all of a sudden he switched. He's talking about giving as he was in verse 6. He's saying that the God who brings the rain will surely supply us with all that we need to give. But notice that it's not only that he supplies resources for us to give. What else? Take a look. He says that he supplies and multiplies your seed for sowing. He'll keep providing you with all that you need to give generously. 
And notice uh, the result at the end of this verse. The result is that God will increase the harvest of your righteousness. Now we know that this righteousness is not inherently our own. We understand this. We are thankful for the righteousness of Christ and what he is doing to work in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to produce righteousness. He is sanctifying us. He's making us more and more like the Son, Jesus Christ. And by his power, we put to death the deeds of the body, right? That's Romans 8. We understand that's what he is doing, the mortification of sin. But we also know that it is through him that we work out our own salvation by the power of God, that we grow in holiness and we begin to look more and more like Jesus as we also become more righteous. Again, don't, don't be confused. I'm not saying this somewhere that is perfectionism. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about growing in godliness and holiness and presenting by God's grace his work in us through the Holy Spirit so that we might be more righteous. I mean, what a statement. I mean, that's what the end of verse 9 told us last week. Do you remember that? He quoted, remember Isaiah, uh, Psalm 112? That properly giving to others results in our righteousness. If you remember this, it's an enduring righteousness. He says that, verse 9 says that this righteousness endures forever. He continues on in verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Now, in case you didn't believe me at the beginning here, he makes it abundantly clear. What he's saying here, he is supplying and multiplying so that we might have a great life here. He doesn't say that. So that we would be made much of. doesn't say that. He says here so clearly, he has given, supplied, and multiplied so that we might be able to give. I love that he shows us this. He says it this way, you will be enriched in every way, right? So you can be generous in every way. He's clearly making the parallel here. Like these things are connected. He's not supplying and multiplying so that you and I can consume it upon the things that we like so much. He says he'll supply so that we can be generous with what God has given us. This isn't a prosperity theology at all. It's not about getting more money. He might do that. Certainly he could and he has. My goodness, we know. We are a rich church. God has blessed us with good jobs and good families and many different resources. And we're so thankful. He may do that. He says he will enrich us in every way to be generous in every way. But this is not a promise that if you give $2,000 today, then someday you'll get $4,000 back or that you'll get $3,000 back or that you'll even get your $2,000 back. That's not what he says here. You may not get any money back at all. He says that he'll give what we need. Not to have lots of money, but that he will give us what we need in order to be generous. That means that he is making it, get this, get, get, what is generosity about? Where does it come from? He is making this about the heart. He is saying that he will supply you and me with a changed heart that is able to give. Now, he certainly may provide us with many resources to give as well, and he does. But what he's getting at here is far deeper. Generosity is not an amount of money. I mean, just ask Jesus when he told the disciples that the widow who put in two tiny copper coins had given more than anyone that day. How does Jesus count generosity? Man, is that a convicting question? Because you know what? He sees my heart. 
He sees what I have and what I keep. And what we see here is that God will supply for everyone so that they can be generous. With many resources, maybe. I'd say at least it's some resources, but also with love, willingness, and a heart that desires to obey and give. So I'll ask you, is that how you think about sowing and reaping? Are you looking for the enrichment, get this, are you looking for the enrichment of the widow who only had two copper coins to give? Man, I asked myself that question and I was embarrassed. That's not the enrichment that I want. Again, revealing my heart of unbelief. But that's exactly what he calls us to, that we would be rich toward God. We'll see this in a moment here. Brothers and sisters, this tells us a lot about our hearts. Our prosperity gospel hearts, even though we don't claim that, what do we really value? Remember that God will enrich us in every way so that we might be generous in every way. But he continues in verse 11, and then in verse 12, he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. But then he says this, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God? For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Now, I think this is so cool. What he's doing here, I mean, what, what is produced from this giving? Well, we already saw that it results in righteousness. We talked about that. But we might forget that it also results in thanksgivings. It sounds like many of them, not even just like one time, not like one person said, although it may be true, thanksgivings to God. And guys, this is no small thing. This is no small thing to thank the God who has supplied our every need. Paul, including himself in this word us here, you see, he looks on and says that the situation and tells the Corinthians that when they give generously from the heart, Paul and the other Christians that look on give thanks to God because they see that he's actually doing something in these people. He's fulfilling his promises and they thank God for all that he has done. And don't miss the fact that in between the end of verse 11 and the end of verse 12, he points out something that you and I should just get very naturally, that your, your, your my giving meets the needs of the saints. It actually helps out as they receive it. When those in Jerusalem receive this gift, they're able to buy better food, they're able to support their elders, they're able to benefit perhaps in a number of ways to maybe provide themselves with a building to meet in as the gathered church all these different ways that it actually met the needs of the saints. This is probably, in this one sense, the, the, the thing that we most often think about, like the, the cold cup of water in Jesus' name to actually benefit another person, or perhaps a, a warm blanket, or maybe it's a, a hot meal, or perhaps it's helping with a pastor's salary, or perhaps it's, again, securing funds to help folks have a place to meet for church. This is a wonderful result of our giving generously from the heart. But remember, that's sandwiched in between these other two things. Paul makes an even bigger deal about the attention that God deserves. This giving results in overflowing and many thanksgivings to God, he says. We give and God gets thanked. I love it. Uh, let me make a side note here also. I think we need to hear as a congregation a pastoral note. How do you respond when a brother or sister gives something to you? Let me be honest for a moment. I think that sometimes we are very poor 
receivers. What I mean is our first thought often isn't thanks be to God, but we're maybe overly concerned that now we're in someone else's debt. That now there's something between us where they've given more to me than I have to them. And now we have some sort of interpersonal thing where I feel like I've got to somehow even this out. I've got to wait an appropriate amount of time to give back to them, but I'm going to give back to them. I see a lot of serious faces because you know how true it is. We feel this debt. We're so rich. Instead of thanking God, we instead turn and figure out how we can make it right between us. May I encourage you as your brother and pastor to thank God for what he has given through others. Of course you should thank one another. I'm not saying that. Send generous thank you notes. Remind them, though, that it is God who gives and that he has given and taken care of you because of this very gift that they have given. But don't rob God of thanksgiving, brothers and sisters. Let us be those who, when we receive, don't try to figure out how we can give it back, but thank God and use those things for his glory and his good and so that we might have joy in a father who gives good gifts. Giving generously from the heart must result in thanksgiving to God. He continues on in verse 13 and 14. Take a look here. He starts to look past the immediate results and he talks about the ripple effects that kind of comes out from this. Verse 13 and 14 says this, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Now, this first phrase is a bit difficult to translate. It says, by their approval of this service. And that's good, but I like the way that CSB says it. It's a Christian standard Bible. It just says, because of the proof that's provided in this ministry. In other words, they can take a look, they can kind of step back and, and say, oh, they're legit. They actually gave, and they gave, and they gave. It's, it's, it's real. In a sense, it's kind of the evidence that shows it wasn't just a one-time thing, but rather a heart that deeply was set on glorifying God by generous giving. The evidence is out. The Corinthians have generously given from the heart. And when other Christians see that proof, that they see that it's real, they respond. In these verses, Paul gives us two responses, and it's not very clear from the way this is set up, so this is all Greeky and weird, but the way that it's actually set up, there's two major ideas here that he's getting across that they respond. The first one you can see clearly in verse 13 is that they glorify God. But the second one, the present part of that matches that, is that they long for and pray for the Christians. That's the second main thing in the way that they respond here. In short, they respond by giving glory to God and uniting better with these others and longing for them as Christian brothers and sister, sisters. Now, Paul gets into the weeds here in verse 13. I love this. This is so Paul. He's like going to go off on a little quick little rabbit trail to explain himself. I'm going to try to bring that together quickly. I could have done a whole sermon just on that, but let me just explain. He says that the recipients will glorify God because of two things. First, they see that the Corinthians are submitting. You see that word there? They're submitting to the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. In other words, they can see that it's not just an empty faith for them. They can see that it's actually working itself out in love, in generosity. Their submission to this confession is real. 
And when these Christians see the Corinthians shine before men, they will glorify their Father in heaven. We read that this morning. Remember that? Jesus said that. When they see your good works, they will glorify your Father in heaven. It's amazing. It came true. Second, they glorify God because they can see and feel the Corinthians' generosity in sharing. They can see it so evidently with other Christians. The word here also that you see that's translated contribution is the same word for fellowship or sharing or participation. It's that word we've talked about, that koinonia, that fellowship together. These Christians are watching the Corinthians give or share of themselves and they glorify God and they're united in their hearts. They long for them. They pray for them. Perhaps they're separated by hundreds of miles and yet there is a unity because they watch them obey Christ. That's verse 13, but he goes on to verse 14 here. Not only do they glorify God, they also long for and pray for these brothers in Corinth. There's a greater Christian unity that comes out of this, like I said. These churches, again, perhaps are several miles from each other, but that is what it brings them to so they can actually share in this ministry together. All that's left for Paul to do is break out in praise. Verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Even Paul's getting into the thanksgiving and praising to God. Uh, the, the generous giving from the heart results in more and more praise from real people and the goodness of God that he's worked out in real people. And even when we sing it or say it or read it, we say hallelujah, that he would give his inexpressible gift, most pointedly in Jesus Christ. But look at all the ways that he has blessed us. This God just keeps on giving, even in how we learn to give, even in our motivation here. We recognize that God gives in a way that we are incapable of expressing how wonderful and generous he is to his creation, and even more so to his people in Jesus Christ. So in these six verses, we've kind of seen a couple of different things go on. We've seen these immense and eternal blessings. They fall into three categories, like I said. The first is that this Christian giving blesses others. The second is that it matures us. And then the third is that it glorifies God. Let me go back through those then and just point these out. It blesses others. In verse 12, Paul says that this giving results in meeting the needs of the saints. This is the real meeting of needs for real people. Now, I don't know if everyone remembers this or not. I don't see them around very often anymore. But do you remember maybe going with your parents to the bank and you would pull up in your car, and they would open the window, and they were outside, and there's a tube that came down. Remember this? And they took out the little canister, and you put out maybe like cash, or maybe it's a deposit slip or a check, and then you closed it up, and you put it back in there, and whoosh, right around and over to the teller, right? I haven't seen as many. Maybe they're still around. I'm not sure. But I'm just trying to say I've seen this, and probably all of us can in some way remember something like this. Sometimes I wish there was a place that I could go to take my money to give to God and put in like this heavenly whoosh system and let it go up to God because I'm not exactly sure what to do with all of it. I want him to decide. But what we see here is that he uses real people to give and bless other real people. That means that you and I can't go to this place and put in our, our, our money and make it whoosh go up to heaven and let him do it. He's called us to recognize the things that need us in one sense to give. That he would use us as an amazing part of his creation. 
It's an amazing thing that God would choose to use you and I as our hard hearts are broken, as our unbelief is crushed, to follow and obey him. And he uses it to bless others. It's unreal. It really helps them. It really causes them to have the things that they need. What I'm trying to just point out here is that our giving blesses others. It really does. That's not the only thing, though. He's called us to look around and understand our world and give to those who need this. That's both to the saved and the unsaved. We saw so clearly throughout the New Testament that it is first the household of faith, first to Christians. Our giving has real-world consequences, but there's more than that. In verse 14, we see the ripple effects of giving is also this greater unity in the body of Christ. God works in our loving giving to affect others. He uses it to grow our hearts and their hearts in affections for one another. So your giving brings about hearts that long for and pray for other Christians. So that's the first thing is that Christians, Christian giving blesses others. The second one is that Christian giving matures us. You'll see here in verse 10, this is a wonderful reward that God has, that has given us in one sense. He doesn't really shy away from it either. There's like a self-interest here for Paul to say, hey, you're going to grow. You're going to mature. You're going to become more like Christ. We learned that this process, that God supplied everything that we need in order to be generous. In other words, the practice of Christian giving is a way for us to practice godliness, to starve our wicked desires to feed the flesh, and rather see these things as a way that we might know and love him. So I'll ask you this. Do you want to grow in generosity? Do you want to be enriched in every way to be generous in every way? Then give. Give the way that he taught us to. Give according to those rules that he's given to us here. This is the way that he will enrich us so that we may give and be generous in every way. It's counterintuitive, I get it. But he says it's exactly what to do. He will enrich those who continue to give faithfully. So he calls us to do this. But it's even more explicit here in verse 10. He says that this is maturing us in righteousness. Isn't this one of the pursuits that Jesus gave us? We read it this morning, Matthew 6, 33. It's here that he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Guys, give generously from the heart. He shows us, again, he shows us, he quoted the Psalms, those who give to others, their righteousness endures. This is what we're called to. This matures us as Christians. Christian giving matures us. Then lastly, Christian giving glorifies God. Is that not our main drive? Is that not our chief end? Look at this. Not only does our giving take care of fellow saints, not only does it mature us in faith and righteousness, but in these verses, we can't escape the result that's larger than all of them. When we give properly, we glorify God. He does this in two ways. In verse 11 and 12, we see that giving results in an overflow of many thanksgivings to God. I don't know if we value that like the scriptures value that. One of the greatest benefits of our Christian giving it is that it would create an occasion for many people to give thanks to God. Again, I think when we think about rewards, we think about usually one person. What we're seeing here is a multiplication 
And having our hearts set on the kingdom of God is far more important. Our giving gives a real-time opportunity for many different people to join in and give thanks to God for his generosity through believers. If I can encourage you to, if you're on the other side of that and seeing this, give thanks when other people get stuff. Give thanks when God supplies needs. Again, it is about bringing glory and honor to him. But not only that, it appears that those who received the gift from the Corinthian believers responded by glorifying God in verse 13. Look at it again. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. Now, he doesn't even tell us exactly what they did. Like, did they say, we give glory to you, God? Maybe. Did they sing? Maybe. Did they give? Maybe. I have no idea. All he makes clear here is that they glorified God in their response and thus fulfilled their chief purpose as well. This could be an attitude change. It could be a whole life change. It could be worship. It could be glory to God through obedience or greater unity. The exact D isn't specified here, but Paul's very clear. The results of the Corinthians giving is that those in Jerusalem glorified God. Amen. Praise God. So Christian giving blesses others. It matures us and it glorifies God. God's truly the one who supplies and multiplies our resources. He truly enriches us in every way to be generous in every way. He takes our, our gifts and increases them to this immense eternal blessing that is both for us and for others and for God's glory. Now for a moment, do you see then that Paul has laid out in front of us one of the greatest incentives or rewards of all time? He is saying to us, hey guys, Give generously from the heart. Supply the needs of others. Don't be stingy, but rather give bountifully. I'm telling you, it's going to pay off. It is for your righteousness. It is for blessing others. It is for the glory of God. It's a promise. And I'll admit that I'm selfish and I often don't think of blessing others and glorifying God, my growing immaturity as much of a reward. But that's because I still struggle to believe God and what he says about himself in all of reality. I'm tempted to believe that my best life here and now is the life that I want to invest in. God calls us to something far greater, guys. Something far more eternal and lasting and immense. To a life and glory that's beyond compare. And those aren't my words. That's Romans 8. You know this passage. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. I want us to be giving generously from our hearts this godly motivation that we would desire a good reward for our Christ-like work. Now, I'm done with exegesis of this passage. I know our time is almost done. Last week and the rest of this message so far, I've dealt with our hearts. This is the, this is the issue. If we can get to here and have God change us, we will flow rightly out of this. We'll obey. We'll seek to do what is right. Let me give you, though, because some of you may be asking, hey, Chris, I'm convicted. I know I want to obey. I, I understand. I, I, I want to give generously from the heart. Where does it go? Again, you, you made a joke about that canister with the tube going up to heaven. That'd be a lot easier if I just knew what to do. Let me give you four places that I encourage you to give to. And not only your money, by the way. Yes, absolutely your money. It tells the story of your heart, guys. 
Remember, it's amazing that we can take resources and by God's grace, obediently turn them into blessings. It's amazing. But I'm not only talking about resources, I'm talking about all of our life and service as well. Here are the four simple ways. There's way more ways than this, but these ought to be primary for us. The first thing is that you should support the local church. Whether you're a member here at Cornerstone or another place, praise God, please support your local church. We still have to keep the lights on. We still have to pay staff. We still have to pray our missionaries. We still have to do all the different things that God has called us to. And as he gives us greater reward, by the way, we have a greater stewardship that we would be able to also be generous as a church. So I'd encourage you to continue to support the local church. And I'll just add a side note. If for some reason you can't support the local church, like there's like a kind of a, a hang-up that you have about something, may I just challenge you this one thing. If you're a member, if you would entrust your soul to us as elders in this church, I think that you ought to entrust with us money as well. If there's questions, we're ready for questions. We want to talk as members and as a family about what we do. But if I can encourage you and remind you that this is one way that we continue to work towards fulfilling the Great Commission. Local church. Second one, I'm not getting paid to say this, my goodness, you should support CPC. You should support Crisis Pregnancy Center. There, you're hearing me. I mean, like, Toby didn't ask me to do this. Stacey didn't ask me, no one asked me to say this. They care about the orphan and the widow and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should support the CPC. There, go do it. Number three, you should support each other, other Christians. That may mean through a meal. That may mean through a gift. That may mean taking their kids for an afternoon. That may mean sending them a card. That may mean sending them money. I don't know what it looks like. But I, can I tell you how many times I have been enriched by your giving? I mean, real gifts and other things that I can't talk about. My word, supply the needs of others in our body. Let us be generous to one another so that we might see these things have eternal immense blessings. Last one, I'll just say, um, you should support other good Christian ministries that are about the Great Commission, that we would be willing to see it go out far past our four walls here at Cornerstone Bible Church. I know that each one of you have so many different connections. Be willing to generously give there as well. All these things are good opportunities that we would see Christ glorified in the Great Commission as well through our gifts and our living and serving. The rules are still the same in all of this. Just writing a check or just volunteering doesn't secure your heavenly reward. We recognize that. But when you and I give generously from the heart, trusting God to supply all of our needs, he will supply and multiply these resources so that we might give generously and have eternal reward. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for not only supplying, but multiplying all that we need to be generous. Would you align our hearts so that we might be rich toward God, not rich here on earth? We thank you for Paul's example, and more importantly, Jesus' example, who emptied himself, made himself poor that we might be rich. We ask that you'd make us like you so that we might be rich toward God, that we would have an immense eternal reward in him. We thank you for your grace in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you're not a part of a gospel-centered church in your city, we encourage you to find and belong to one. For further sermons and more information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.